0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting
1: Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. Uh, very happy today to be uh, coming back to something we actually mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, during the, our discussion of the give up control model, which was in a, a series where we talked and compared and contrasted different uh, models of, uh, of thinking, the mutual learning and unilateral control, and then finally give up control. And near the end, we talked about what people could do would be a better solution and um talking about briefing and back briefing now you're going to say that this is something that you've come across before and this is a uh, advice you commonly give to people is that right
0: absolutely so I'll have a manager or a founder or somebody who's responsible for the behavior of somebody else and that person will say you know I told them to do this and I came back and they hadn't done it and I say how was the back briefing and they say the back what, and then we uh, go on and, and talk about what briefing and back briefing are.
1: And I think that that's for our our listeners. We told them that we to do back briefing. We, this is our chance to get a little bit more into what that means. Now, uh, I know you said that how you get across the idea to them is uh, you have a little story that you you like to share.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's a story stolen from the person who came up with all this, a guy named Stephen Bungay, who has the um, dubious distinction of both being a management consultant and a military historian, which is a fascinating combination. And he wrote a book called The Art of Action, and you'll find a link to it in the show notes. And in that book, he describes a, a fantastic story about how the Prussian military used this technique to defeat the French, which was their mission in life throughout the 1800s. And what uh, I'm, I'm going to mix it up—I won't try to say which general it was. They're all von something, but uh, I never remember <laughs> which one is which. But um, there was there was a general who wanted to defeat. Uh, to sort of seal the defeat of the the French. He'd, he'd beaten them in the battle that day and his armies were scattered around. Um, and so he kind of vaguely knew where everybody was, but of course we didn't have uh, radar and drones and things. So uh, he, he sort of knew that uh, the first army was Northeast and the second army was Northwest or something like that. And he knew the French were somewhere to his North, but he didn't have much detail. But yet he wanted to surround them the next day. So what he did was he, and and we actually have these letters, so Bungay puts them in the book and um, you you can read them and, and see how they use this technique. The first thing he did was a briefing. So he and his briefing was written. Uh, He took out a piece of paper and on it he wrote, uh, dear General so-and-so. And and, and he wrote two copies of this letter, one to the army to the northeast and one to the army to the northwest. He said, congratulations for defeating the French. Uh, Now our next thing to do is to um, chase them down and, and make sure to surround them and make them surrender. We know they're somewhere to my north, and um, I know that you are somewhere to the northeast or west, whichever one he was writing to. And what I want you to do is to go north and, uh, and surround them from the east or the west. Uh, now, there's a, uh, a restriction here. I don't want you to attack them, because if you attack them, you'll get drawn into a battle and you'll have a, a, a battle with a, a small force and the main force will escape. So um, a constraint is don't fight them, just surround them. But uh when you're going north, you can do that any way you like. You could take the cavalry or the infantry um you could take them both together um to send a, a shock force first, whatever you need to do, because I don't know enough about your situation, I'm not even sure where you are <laughs> but um what I want you to do is send back a message just right at the bottom of this letter what you are going to do, and he handed this letter to to two messengers. Uh, one each. And he said, go somewhere that way, find the army They're they're over there, uh, <laughs> find general what's it and, uh, give him this letter and wait for the reply. And he did all this at three in the morning. So he having defeated the French and so and ride off into the, the the darkness of the forest and search around and, um, say passwords and things I'm sure. And then eventually find the right general, hand him the letter, he writes the thing and he comes back to, to our main general. And uh, that the writing at the bottom of the letter is the back briefing. That's the part where you say, uh, here is what I'm going to do to accomplish the goal that you've given me within the constraint that you've given me and exercising the freedom that you've given me. The constraint here is don't attack the French. The freedom is use whatever means necessary to go north. And the result was that uh, the armies moved into position correctly. Um, the, the main general was able to coordinate his army to the south to, to match up with what the other two were doing. They surrounded the French and Napoleon III was uh, uh, dethroned. So that, that's the story that I generally tell uh, as a illustration of the first use of briefing and back
1: briefing. And then this kind of response you get from people, what do they now suddenly, the Prussian and French now seem more relevant to them and their situations? (laughs) It certainly seems more relevant. They're not always certain exactly how to
0: apply it. So then I say, well, you know, that thing you were just telling me about how you wanted the team to do a thing and you came back a few weeks later and they hadn't done it. So the uh, method that you would use, the way you would apply the Prussian military solution here is that you would give the briefing, which would be more formal than what you did, which might have been, you know, hey, go find out if we can integrate with partner X. Uh, you would say, I want you to integrate with partner X. Uh, I want to make sure that you don't uh, give away our trade secrets. So um, only use the standard API. Uh, that's your constraint. But your freedom is to uh, use any programming language you like to, to build the API, but do it fast. And so uh, on Friday at 2 o'clock, look at me, and i you know, typing it into your computer, making sure it's on the calendar. Friday at 2 o'clock, I want you to come back to me and tell me what method you're going to use. And that's the back briefing. And the responsibility for booking the back briefing, in, in the Prussian example, it was sending the messenger. In, in the uh, modern example, it's get out uh, Google Calendar or whatever you use. Um, the responsibility for booking it is with the manager, with the person giving the assignment. The responsibility for showing up with a useful back briefing is with the team. It's with the person taking the assignment. And the value there is that the person taking the assignment knows exactly when, The back briefing is due and the person giving the assignment knows when to expect it. And so that person, the the person giving the assignment can forget about it until Friday at two o'clock, which is a tremendous relief (laughs) because often what will happen is the person who's telling me, I worry about it. I'm staying up at night. I'm worried about it. I don't want to bug them too much because I don't want to micromanage. But, uh, you know, I really want to know that it's going to get done. And the the back briefing gives them a very specific thing. I just I'm going to know it Friday at two o'clock. I can stop thinking about it until then.
1: Yeah, uh, what I really like about the story, and and both both for the uh, Prussian fresh example and the example that you give here, uh, is you're you're focusing on a part that I think leadership often misses, uh, which is their responsibility for what they need to include in the briefing, right? It's it's more than just a general direction. It, you know, that the, the uh, um, general that you described didn't say just go north and that was but also put it a bit about what the intentions were uh, um, what the restrictions were you know what trade-offs would be valued it's a bit more work than simply saying you know go north young man and you know that's you, know, you have to put a bit more thought and effort to it something which is often missing from a lot of leaders uh miss that in agile teams they'll, they'll they'll just give a top level do this but without the sort of fuller context and without the trade-offs and restrictions that that you with value, and you don't get the best results from
0: that because the team can't um, make decisions with the full context and take advantage of all the opportunities they have. Uh, th- there's a great example from Boeing um, that, that you might tell us about that uh, that you found.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually um, one that I came across uh, many years ago before I ever read Art of Action, before I knew briefing and back briefing, um, but I still really valued it for the clarity of intent that was given in the and the explicit trade-offs. And this goes back to um the the development of the uh, Boeing 777.
0: That that's not the 737 Max that's been crashing recently. So this is <laughs> this is not not that that story. Uh, this is about a completely different um uh, uh, airliner. Okay, go ahead. That's right,
1: 777. So the the challenge here was uh about how to balance the budget and uh weight ratio. Of the of the plane. Um, there's a, a big payoff uh, in fuel savings. If you can make a lighter plane, you can carry more stuff. Um, but there's also concerns around the overall cost of the plane. And what they did, rather than trying to micromanage every decision, actually is they empowered people, uh, but to make trade-offs. And in general, any engineer was allowed to spend $300 per pound without any approval so just they 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 knew they had the freedom that if they could identify a savings in their area that would cost less than 300 dollars per pound they could do it that would be it and uh if if they found something that would be they think might might be worthwhile then with a supervisor approval it could be maybe as much as 600 dollars a pound and at the the highest level uh if if a designer found that the uh, weight savings they they might be able to spend as much as 2500 dollars per pound with the oversight of a program manager. And the idea of these, these different hierarchies was basically to make sure that people weren't um, spending too much in their area when there were cheaper uh, cost savings to be made in other places. And so this uh, allowed people to both, uh, they knew the trade-offs that they could make unilaterally, and they knew that other uh, trade-offs might be considered and they could offer them up. And it allowed then at the at the sort of overall um, plane level to say, well, you know, if we still have to make more uh, weight cuts, where's the cheapest places across the entire plane that we could we could do that uh, so i've always I've always liked that as a an example of sort of clarity about what trade-offs you value and uh, coming across then later Stephen Bungay and the idea of the briefing and back briefing, I think, oh wow, this is a great example of a briefing, and it uh, it was very clear about what trade tradeoffs that you like.
0: Fantastic. And we'll have a link to the story about that in the show notes. It's uh, the place we found it. Is a book called "Serious Play: How the World's Best Companies Simulate to Innovate" by Michael Schrage. I hope I'm saying that right, <laughs> but uh, you can you can look up the link in the show notes. One thing I really like about that example is it it does balance the autonomy and the ac- accountability nicely. Because one of the obvious things that you could do, and, and Schrage talks about this, is, is you could just appoint a uh, a person in charge of weight, and you say, okay, just go ask Jeffrey. You know, if he tells you you can reduce the weight, then do whatever he says. And the problem is that what happens when Jeffrey's on holiday or what happens if Jeffrey doesn't have all the information? Um, how could Jeffrey keep track of an entire airplane?
1: Uh, that's right. That's yeah. a, a massive effort. Exactly. And and by by avoiding that sort of weight czar approach uh, and, and sort of saying, oh, we're going to put all the, the autonomy or all the power into a single person, you distribute it and you get all the advantages now of people being able to bring their own creativity uh, and inspiration to the situation. Um, so that's that's really great. And, and when we then bring this into Agile teams, we can uh, often talk about this in terms of what trade-offs do we care about. And so a classic example might be, um, you know, we, we could ship something uh, smaller, uh, we could thin the feature uh, if we'd like it sooner, or if we need to have more in it, then we can maybe take longer and be able to play with exactly uh, how much of a, of a feature we want and need, uh, we can, um, give the ability to do different trade-offs. So we can say, oh yes, in, in this scenario, uh, what we, we care about is really impressing people and we want it to be really high quality or, you know, really bulletproof. And another time, oh, actually this is just, uh, if there's any incremental improvement, we value showing more progress than, uh, completeness. So if you can get any small bit done, uh, let's get it to production sooner, giving people those kind of, uh, 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 levers to play with
0: fantastic do you, do you run into that kind of thing at tim anytime at the company where you're cto i have the feeling that you you're making those kinds of trade offs often
1: uh, absolutely and uh, and so we do try to bring this uh, to our project planning uh, and we do also uh, ask for the back briefing and that can be very interesting um, because we we also have a fairly uh, a non hierarchical structure and uh, there's often uh, technology um, is empowered to make certain kind of changes. And so we've had some interesting cases where um, people have a sort of a general remit to be improving the platform, but they still have the responsibility to provide a back briefing for what they're doing. And uh, that's been incredibly uh, useful. Um, th- these back briefings can happen at sort of different levels of detail. There can be things that are aimed at a, by, from technologists to technologists that can be more detailed. But at a higher level, uh, it can still be very useful. So, one recent example we had was a minor change to one of our APIs to improve the precision of one of the timestamps. And the feeling was, well, this is a, a, a probably a low risk change, and it will it will uh, solve certain problems. And um, so, it was brought by the technologists to say, we're we're planning on making this change, to, and also but bringing it to uh, product and account management and sales, and saying, is there any problem with this? And actually, that they're being very useful because we were able to say, well, actually, we have this client who's doing a technical integration right now, and they're in this sort of trial period. And it, um, you know, it, even though this is low risk, uh, there's no particular urgency for it. So, would it be okay if we delay this until their trial finishes and they're onboarded, and we can we can bring the change later? Just it would just be less disruptive to the sales process. And um, th- so the technology team was happy to, to delay and, and uh, that was able to be coordinated uh, from, it was really initiated by the back briefing about what their intentions, uh, what their planned actions were.
0: And the thing that strikes me about the API story is how calm it is. Um, That's just, oh yeah, you know, we're making our plans just sort of normal ticking along. <laughs> we're uh, going to calmly make this change And your, your, you can imagine what might happen if you didn't use the back briefing, which would be much more dramatic. It'd be a more exciting story. <laughs> but it'd be exciting because you had an angry customer on the phone saying, why the heck are you changing the API in the middle of the last week of our, uh, of our trial? And we're, we're not going to buy it. And you have to suddenly dive in and be the hero and, and, um, roll back the API. That, that'd be a very exciting story, but it would not be uh, uh, good for everybody's blood pressure.
1: Yeah, that's and that's funny. That's because we were we were talking about some of the one of the challenges in in describing or one of the challenges I feel in in talking about the beaten briefing and back briefing in the podcast, which is it 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 can make for kind of a a, a boring story that uh, everything sort of is is calm and and uh, and smooth. I mean, this is kind of our our normal. A week, uh, and I'll just, in the projects, the team I work most closely with on Monday, we'll sort of confirm, and we have kind of a, a, a back briefing type thing in our Monday planning meeting, just say, yep, this is the story that we're working on this week. Uh, yep, We're all aligned. There may be, if we finished a story and we are pulling another one, there's uh, the, the briefing will be, yep, this is the next story at the top of our Kanban board. Let's pull it over. There'll be some discussion about sort of constraints from me. That would might be a briefing element there. And then um, once we're aligned on what we're building, the question that I will ask is, will anything go into production this week? And uh, that's useful for me so I can set expectations around the the company. And uh, what they're making here is a prediction about, yeah, we think this, this may or may not get done. And uh, they, they have a more detailed discussion among the engineers about how they'll actually go around building it. So there's a whole different level of sort of accountability amongst uh, each other about how they what they'll be doing but at the sort of product level um, there's this kind of a simple uh, discussion about if what what are the odds that something will go into uh, production by the end of the week and at the end of the week we we have our demo where people demonst- demonstrate anything that they've done and including things that have gone to production or anything that has has um, Progress of the week, so even things that are, aren't yet visible, things behind feature flags, and that's done to a very broad audience. Uh, it's open up to sales and account managers, and uh, really anyone who's curious about how the product is progressing. And and that's it. And people can see it. And one of the things that happens actually in that um, demos, then there can be feedback because people are seeing it and they'll say, "Oh, actually, you know, could you could you make that red when you have that failure?" That's an example from from Friday. Um, and at first people, even the people giving the feedback say, oh, I, I feel bad giving you this additional work to do because you've done this great stuff during the week. But the feeling from the team is, no, that's great. This is why we're we're doing it. We're, we're, we're doing to have this feedback cycle. And so that people are engaged because they know they can give feedback. People are happy to hear it. And you have a sort of very calm and productive and supportive cycle.
0: And, and unlike that founder that I started with uh, in my example, you're not staying up all night worrying about it. You know, the demo's on Friday. If it needs to be read, I can tell them then. And you can think about something else and, and get some sleep.
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, I can get some sleep. And understand that, that people have had a chance to interrogate me about what it is that I value. And um, and so therefore, they are clear on what, what I value as far as trade-offs. And um, that they've, they've told me what, what do they plan to do. And I also know that, they'll, that they may adjust things as they go along. Uh, that that just, Despite whatever they've said in the back briefing about what they intend, uh, they know that they're able to adjust on the fly um, based on the overall briefing if they find a, a better way forward. Makes sense. Well, if listeners would like to sleep better,
0: they may want to give briefing and back briefing a try. Check the show notes for examples and comments and uh, uh, methods to, to try from the art of action. Uh, if you're interested in getting in touch with us and telling us how your experiments with briefing, back briefing, or or not sleeping are going, uh, get in touch at troubleshootingagile.com. There's Twitter and email and all the usual kinds of things. We like getting questions and comments from listeners. We also really like it when people click the subscribe button in whatever their podcasting app of choice is. So please do that if you'd like to hear from us every Wednesday with 15-20 minutes on uh, latest ideas in the world of uh, troubleshooting Agile. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Qua.